2: Geekscapists, Jonathan here. Just to let you guys know that this week's episodes were all recorded at Los Angeles Comic Con over the past weekend. We had a whole lot of fun walking around the floor, getting to meet a lot of people at LA Comic Con, and seeing old friends. And the highlights were putting together these three panels that you're going to hear this week. First up, we've got Kaiju versus Giant Robots. This one was recorded with a pretty awesome cast of experts. You're going to learn a whole lot about uh, giant robots and kaiju monsters if you're not like well versed in them like me you're gonna really 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 learn a whole lot um so stick with us this week enjoy these panels share them with your friends and if you want some old school geekscape go back to the feed listen to a special or listen to a sit-down interview okay geekscape forever enjoy Clark, do you guys wanna get started? Yes. Woo! All right. Welcome to giant, Monster, giant Robots and Kaiju Attack LA Comic Con. This is a panel that we put together just basically to celebrate our love of giant robots and kaiju monsters, uh, which have become pretty popular in the mainstream media uh, in the recent years with things like Pacific Rim, but uh, we had to go and dig deep into places like toy bins and comic book boxes to Uh, and do import VHSs of rare Japanese shows to satisfy our love of uh, giant robots and kaiju back in the day. Um, So I'm Jonathan from Geekscape, and we've put together a panel of people who I think grew up like that and just loved these monsters and giant robots from back in the day. Uh, Panelists, if you could, starting with Tom Frank there in the end, can you introduce yourself and also say a bit about uh, what you do today that has that involves it, you know, and you can be. You, Tom has he'll he'll get into it, but but uh, say tell a little me when bit to about, stop. Say a little bit about your current uh, state of love for giant robots and kaiju, and what your first like gateway drug into it was. Well,
0: I'll I'll start with the gateway drug part first. Um, you know, I remember I'm from Massachusetts. I grew up watching Channel 56 Creature Double Feature was on every Saturday, um, and robot anime shows. This was a a sort of a regional show. There was a show called Force Five, which was on which would take uh, Shogun Warrior based anime shows like uh, Get a Robo-G and Grandizer, and it would show each one would be a different day of the week. You know, Monday would be Dengard Ace, Tuesday would be Star Avengers, which was Get a Robo-G. And I collected the Shogun Warriors the second they came out, and uh, Vinyl Kaiju, And I basically have never stopped. Uh, I did go to Japan seven times to hunt down toys. uh, And there was one that I was looking for for 13 years. Uh, And in 2006, I did win it at an auction for 15 and a half thousand dollars.
2: So Tom, before you get too far, for those uh, people in the audience who don't know, what what was the Shogun series? The Shogun Warriors
0: were toys from the 1970s that Mattel imported (laughs) from Japan that were originally made by a company called Poppy, um, and they were two feet tall. They were made out of polyethylene, uh, which is the same material used to make like shampoo bottles. So the nickname for them is sort of giant shampoo bottles. Uh, there were also Chogokin toys in the '70s, which were huge, which were diecast metal, um, which was a huge phenomenon, sort of before the Transformers took over, and like cheaper plastic uh, was the preferred. Uh, material at the time, so that was a huge phenomenon as well. And Shogokin comes from the first giant robot uh, anime that was piloted, Mazinger Z, um, which just had a new movie released this past year uh, in Japan and it was released for two days in the US. Anyone see it when it came out in January? There we go, Mazinger Z. Um, But that robot was made out of the the, the super metal that they said it was made out of was called Shogokin. So the toys adopted that name. So the kids felt like they were playing with toys made out of the same metal as their favorite robots, which I just thought was a, a wonderful phenomenon. Um, and you know, I was hooked on that as a kid, and uh, I just never stopped.
2: We're know? gonna get back to your journey okay. toward sure. that auction of one of three toys that exist, period. Yeah, there's a lot more to that story. <laughs> okay, Julia.
3: Hi. Hi, so, okay, my name's Julia Howe. I work in special effects. Um, my most recent, I guess, Kaiju Big Monster um, project was Godzilla, so that's coming out next year. And um, I do not have, like, adamantite Godzilla toys or anything like that, <laughs> but um, let's see, my father had the, I guess it was made of lead or pewter, the one that shoots projectiles that you just can't get anymore. So that was... Because <laughs>
2: yeah, you'll choke on it? The yeah, one it that did. is
3: like, totally a choking hazard, but <laughs> yeah. a, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to report... Yeah. Chogo
2: kid. Choco I didn't choke, kid. choke on
3: the Godzilla toys, so uh-huh. I'm here for you today. And um, I don't know, I, I grew up in Japan, so this kind of stuff was normal, like you would just turn on the TV, and you know, that genre existed, and it Is, would be... Um,
2: so jealous. Yeah. Is it weird seeing a bunch of people geek out over these things, and you're like... I no, I just, I'm glad, because yeah.
3: I remember coming to the States going, where's my, where's my kaiju battles, and right. it didn't exist, right? And I'm, I'm really excited that it's kind of coming full circle, and now we have it, you know, so... All good things. We'll
2: ahead. And currently, you work as a special effects artist and. Mm-hmm. Well, I, don't, I build
3: actual robots. You,
2: now you yeah. make actual robots and yeah. kaiju and things. Yeah. That's incredible.
3: So, yeah, a lot of fun. So it comes comes full circle.
4: Wow. Yeah. Uh, Jay. Oh, hi. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, I'm Jay Washington. Uh, my history started me being a kid on the south side of Chicago who couldn't go outside. Mm-hmm. So I was always in the house watching. Spectre man, I grew up on Transor Z. Yep. <laughs> before I found out it was Maz, mos- I grew up on Transor Z, and uh, you know, remember him, the Bubble Bot, Aphrodite A, all those, the kaiju's there, watching all the Godzilla films and all the different kaiju battles. Then. And you couldn't
2: go outside because it was dangerous, or because uh, you were a Bubble Boy? Because uh, it was dangerous.
4: I uh, <laughs> grew up on the South Side of Chicago in bubble the eighties. Wa- bubble Boy, watching Bubble Bot. Yeah, I grew up on the South Side in the eighties. <laughs> Not that good. Uh, <laughs> Not that good. So I've always been a fan of them. Then fast forward to like 86, I think I was a five, six year old. I got introduced to Voltron and that in itself changed my life because I used to imagine that I had a underground chute under my house and somewhere there'd be a lion but, but I knew it wasn't but the sewer there. So <laughs> I, had, I had that. Then I got, you know, I watched all of the Voltron series. I went from there to the 15-piece that I still hate to this day. And then I <laughs> found about the Japanese three, the Gladiator Voltron, the three pieces, yeah. which a lot of people don't know exist. There's, yeah. there's a three-piece There's a Voltron. It's three big robots, and you're just oh. like, how did this happen? And so from there and then just, again, keep watching Man, Ultraman. Then we get the Power Rangers in America. And I was like, oh my dear lord. You know, at first I was upset because the Megazord was Voltron, and I was like, why are they doing this? Like, this is a direct rip-off. But then I didn't know at first, because again, the way I grew up, I didn't know that it was based off of a Japanese series. Mm -hmm. So I found out about the Rangers back then and watched those, and I ended up watching all of the future episodes of the Power Rangers, which to this day I still do, and I don't tell a lot of people. So if you tell anybody outside this room, I will deny it, <laughs> I will deny it. But yeah, I've still been a fan of it. Um, I get a chance to do a lot of panels and different things to talk about and talk about a lot of movies. So when I get excited to talk about these things, like I got a chance to interview the director of Pacific Rim Uprising, and that was before I saw the movie. And I really wanted to tell them how I feel after I saw the movie. But that's a whole other argument. <laughs> whole nother. But I've always been into it. Again, there's something about giant robots. Again, the Transformers, I love the combiners. That The regular robots themselves are just one thing, but the combiners always have fascinated me. So I've stayed influenced by them consistently. Wow. And I talk about a lot of comic book TV shows and movies.
2: <laughs> um, FJ.
5: Um, I was fascinated by that story. <laughs> I, I mean, actually produced the combine Awards cartoon.
2: Yeah, F.J. produced the Combined Awards oh, cartoon.
4: That, he, so that, yeah. that's all I did. There you you have a place in my heart. I mean, that's <laughs> not, it's okay.
5: um, I'm F.J. DeSanto. I'm a producer, occasional writer. Uh, growing up in New York City, we were lucky that the first anime to sort of hit the U.S. in the late 70s, early 80s. You know, stuff like gachaman and you know Yamato and all that stuff, and that just completely, you know, destroyed my little mind. And you know, I found myself seeking out like Japanese bookstores and toy stores and stuff all through New York and anywhere I traveled. And like you, Voltron was a big thing for me. Um, but then I even remember at a certain age when Robotech came out, and I'm like, it's Cross. you know, like getting all yeah, sure. getting all yeah. defensive about it and okay. stuff like that. Um, and just being obsessed with buying you know, like any, any art book, any book related to these things. And uh, again, we had the early Japanese bookstores, so I, I collected a bunch of, a lot of manga, and then did a lot of tape trading you know, into my sort of teen years and stuff like that, because that was the only way to get get these things. And it, it sort of expanded, but I, I loved <laughs> Voltron and, and collected a bunch of toys. I also had the Shogun Warrior stuff, again, not knowing the background of Mazinga and stuff like that. Until much later. And, uh, you know, like, then I ended up in film school making short films based on City Hunter because I had just bought the complete manga not even knowing what it said. I would just buy tons of manga not knowing what it said if it just looked cool. Wow. And then as I got older, you know, I sort of got lucky working a lot in Japan. I worked for Ishimori Pro for a lot of years, so I did their US version of Cyborg 009, the graphic novel, and stuff like that. And then the last couple years, to sort of bring it full circle from when I worked with Gatchaman, I actually, those Transformers shows we did with Tatsunoko. So you know, I'm sort of the guy who runs around that office sort of going, you know, trying to steal Gatchaman toys and <laughs> things like that. So I got to sort of combine everything, this sort of love of anime and the robots and stuff like that and, you know, really do, do this stuff which I'm still doing now.
1: And Diallo? It's me. What's up, man? <laughs> How you doing? Um, my name is Diallo Jackson. I'm a writer, written for um, uh, like Geek and Sundry, and I uh, published my own comic book right now called Angela in the Dark. Um, I grew up in San Francisco. We used to watch uh, there's a, a TV show called uh, Captain Cosmic and 2T2. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where that was like my gateway drug to, uh, <laughs> to a lot of the uh, giant robot stuff. Um, so my story I like to tell all the time is when I was about five or six. I was really obsessed with this one show called Johnny Sacco and His Flying Robot, and I remember I was just so into it. I I turned to my mom one day and I was like, "I'm I'm changing my name to Johnny Sacco," and she said, "Okay," and that was it. (laughs) Um, What did you (laughs) say? She just like ignored me basically. (laughs) Um, <laughs> you know, growing up uh, Ultraman, um, there was another one called Space Giants I was really obsessed with, with Goldar, Silvar and um, Gam was their little son. They turned into rockets and fight giant uh, uh, giant creatures. Um, when I got a little bit older, I got uh, introduced to um, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and, uh, which is to has is the greatest uh, opening theme song for anime, in my opinion. Wow. <laughs> That's a <him> um, lot. <laughs> uh, I also um, just want to have a controversial statement to make about Voltron. Um, the car Voltron is not as bad as you think it is. That is very <laughs> controversial and <laughs> very wrong. I know, people get triggered, but... <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> <laughs> I made a big mistake sitting here. <laughs> That's <laughs> what the BV was
5: talking about.
1: FJ, FJ, we
2: need your guns to like keep them apart. No one on this panel is as powerful as you. We need you there.
1: No, Lion Voltron is definitely superior by far. But I'm just saying the vehicle Voltron gets a gets a short. The C team, the <laughs> C team. That is all I'll say.
2: So um, I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk, realizing I gathered this panel as the person who's the least like literate in this stuff up here by far. Who feels like we're sitting in a panel of just deep cuts, and like I'm way, I'm like way pitching like hitting above my weight on this thing oh, I I agree, uh, like right? this, this is, a... is insane
0: i think this crowd's far down the rabbit hole i think you guys be okay. like
2: you guys are in it to win it right yeah. like you guys are into this they're speaking sure. your language right yes he auctioned, it
4: he rabbit. won an auction for $15,000 yeah. for a toy i mean he like, beats all i those, have like, like, such a, my, I can't my, <laughs> my cursory
2: knowledge of this stuff is like loving godzilla movies mm-hmm. loving Gamera yeah. movies mm-hmm. and damagen like i remember getting all those yep. tapes of i mean all free. Those VHS tapes that, that came in the box this and made his face like, on the side, sure. you put them all together, I, I still value that stuff. But when I was a kid, I was I was in a Disney, which led to Pinocchio, which led to Astro Boy. Mm-hmm. And spending summers in Mexico with my family, I would just watch all the stuff that they, would put, that they would bring to Mexico but not bring to the U.S. And the Astro Boy stuff was so popular down there, I think because of the love of Disney. And then um, I remember watching the cartoon with, guys, tell me what series this is. Where the female robot shoots missiles out of her chest? Transor Z. Yeah, buzzinger like, Z is transor. And as Z- I yeah, like started trans- discovering like sexuality going yet. into college, <laughs> in like thirties, uh, I was like, what is that? <laughs> what is that? I found it ridiculous, but I was captivated. Mm-hmm. And so much of this stuff is ridiculous. But we're captivated. And
0: that's, that's true. And like, uh, if you want to just stay with Astro Boy, Astro Boy is a lot sort of deeper than it appears on the surface. Absolutely. It's, it's really, there's a lot of complex stuff going on in there, and it's just a fun cartoon. But there's the famous two-part uh, episode and also the manga, The uh, Greatest Robot on Earth, uh, which there's this evil uh, robot with big horns that... Uh, wants to be the toughest robot on Earth, and it uh, makes a list of the top seven robots, and it kills them off one by one, and one of them is Astro Boy. And that robot was called Pluto. And Pluto was remade, I don't know, earlier, like 2008 or something like that, fantastic. as a manga. It's the most, it, it, and it completely looks at it from the perspective of one of the victims of the robots, which is a detective, which is trying to figure out who's doing this, and it's like 1,700 pages and you don't see Pluto until like page 1,200 of it. Wow. And it's, it's a complete masterpiece and it's taken so seriously, right. but that level of seriousness was there right from the beginning with Tezuka and Astro Boy. It's, it's very deep. There's a lot of complex stuff going on there. So if you haven't read Pluto, uh, check it out. Check out the original Astro Boy, the greatest robot on Earth. And that's it's republished as manga? Yes. Yeah, it's easy to get here. Yeah. The Pluto stuff? Pluto's wow. incredible. It's, that sounds It's like absolute, a masterwork. A, absolute it masterpiece. Um,
2: so Tom, tell us about your story about why your kid's not going to be able to go to college because you're <laughs> spending all this money. <laughs>
0: well, that toy, uh, you know, we've been talking a little bit about Transor-Z, Mazinger-Z, um, the Shogun Warriors. Uh, the, the polyethylene robots, the first two that came out were Kamen Rider V3 and Mazinger-Z. And those were the shows that were popular in 1972-73. Uh, So they make these toys and they decide, hey, you know what, we want to make store displays of the villains to help sell the heroes. And the excitement about the villain store displays was so popular that at the 11th hour they decided to turn them into actual products. But they were produced in very limited numbers and they didn't have, you know, they had like brown cardboard packaging with cheap graphics on it. and. They were produced in much smaller numbers, and the one, in Mazingerzi, the first two-part episode, the two robots that he fights are sort of very famous-looking. One is uh, Doublas M2, which has two heads, and then Garada K7, which is the evil skull robot with sickle horns, and it's really badass. And toy producers at the time, you know, w- w- we think about toys now as like grown-ups buy toys and action figures. And, you know, McFarlane changed all that in the 90s of it not being just for kids. In 1973, it was strictly for kids. And they said, this Garada K-7 looks way too scary. They tried to change the look at it, of it to make it look more docile, but it was still this evil skull robot. And uh, the, they just decided to not, on, only make a few of them. And uh, one showed up in a museum, one showed up, like, about to be thrown out, and then I found the third one of it, and everyone went crazy for it. And well, I, one why were there sh- only three? There's only three known now. Known now. Who, who, who knows how many they made? You know, right. there might be a few more, but, you know. And there's a problem right now going on with very rare toys that you see similar to comic art going on on eBay of forgeries, you know and we live in a very you know you can speak to this very technologically advanced time in terms of mold making um, and there's a lot of toy antique toy forgeries going on now for very high-end toys is a, is a growing big problem um, and for the villains of jumbo machinders you know uh, out of Hong Kong it's believed there's some you know they're taking original specimens and making molds off of them and people are you know all, all these toy uh, sort of Authentication experts are counting the rivets mm. to see if they match up, and um, you know there's. There, well, to, to get back to it, there's. Uh, I think there's a few uh, uh, replica forgeries of Garata K7 out there that have not been authenticated, and people are doing things like poking the vinyl apart, opening it up, and looking at it to see if the vinyl on the inside is aged, because you can weather the outside of it but the inside is going to age as well. So that's another thing. How sure. did you, you find it? Sorry. I no, mean, no, no, please. How did you find it going to go
5: on auction? Like, how did you discover that? Um, the,
0: uh, Sorry, well, really it's, it's, it's slightly um, long-winded. The, the uh, Gerada K7, because these were produced in lower numbers, they tried to uh, save on the costs, so it used the same molds for the arms and the feet of another Jumbo Machinder villain called a Grengo C3, which shows up, I don't know, like episode 34 of Mazinger Z. And so a, a lot of times with vinyl toys on the foot, they will emboss the name of the character for it. But because this shared the same name as another toy with the same feet, they just put the license holder and the production company, Dynamic Pro Toei Animation, on the foot. So anyone who would find this would potentially um, and put it up for auction would not know the name of it, you know, whereas a lot most toys you'd look it up and you're oh, this is what I, when I'm typing in on yahoo japan i 'll put in the name of it so this they, but I knew that that was always a possibility because I had gorengo c three and I knew it was sharing the same feat. so I bookmarked that, but still, like once word got out, it got out. you know once this auction came up, everyone was going crazy for it in yahoo Japan um, and it, but this is two thousand and six and like, the offers that I've got on it now are ridiculous. And earlier this year, um, in this same building, you know, Anime Expo is held, and uh, Go Nagai was uh, a guest. Uh, he was the guest of honor at Anime Expo this year. And uh, a friend of mine that I knew set up sort of a private event for him, so I brought a bunch of my toy collections to, to show him. And uh, you know, it, it was, it was very exci- thrilling for me, but it was also very sad, because he explained to me through his wife, who knows English, that he never got any of the toys in the 70s when he, uh, his shows were taking off and conquering the world, because he was just too busy making manga um, and producing the shows. So these toys that I had, he, he didn't have. So he took the Garada K7 and he, he signed the foot
2: of it for me. So. Wow. Um, and Tom, the other thing that you do, you go around and you put together, this is your fourth book over on the, if you guys can see his book over here on the end. Uh, when I first met Tom over 10 years ago, he, I think you were on book two at that point. Yep. And And you, you hooked me up. You got
0: me into a convention early that Art Adams was going to be at. Yeah. And so I got to his booth before the doors opened and I was able to get a sketch from Art Adams of, and I do this. Uh, for my daughter, who's here, who's not going to college.
2: She's going to go back? Well, now now, now that that, that your toy is gained in value, you can go to any college you want. You want to buy a college? We're going to buy you a college.
0: But I do these sketchbooks for her. I love to draw with her. So uh, we came up with a theme together of evil giant robots. So I draw the first page in each of these books. An artist draws each following page. You know, each page is a different artist. When there's one page left, she draws the last one, and then I give them to her. So if she wants to sell them, then she can go to college, I guess. Um, So this is the fourth one that I've got, and it's almost
2: full here. And who are some of the biggest artists that you've uh, had uh, contribute to your books?
0: It's it's not a good sketch, but... uh, here. This is the last thing that Bernie Wrightson drew. Wow. Just a Frankenstein quick robot. And then... Like some people... Who just draw robots for a living? You know, we don't know who they are, but they're awesome. That's incredible. And then, there, this went to um, the Philippines, and uh, there was an artist who just like handed it around to his friends, and they were all competitive against each other. This is M. L. Cabaltiera.
2: Wow. And then,
0: also in here is.
2: You went from I worst, in yeah. What's right? that? I said, I don't think I'm in that book. You're, n- you're in a different, yes. Scott
0: Silner here, famous toy collector and dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. And huge collection. You're in an earlier book. He's, he, he did one that's in an earlier book. book. Well, like, you went from
2: like worst dad ever to best dad ever, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome. Burn, that's
0: it. But Go Nagai is in here.
2: The, there's a, a Frank Quietly piece that you have in your binder yeah. that's just... Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's great. So, Julia, as an artist, um, what does it take putting together something like a giant robot cast? Like Tom was talking about these toy casts, and oh, um, how, how I work uh, mechanical. you effects. work in mechanical. Yeah, so, so bringing these balanced. things to life and working with the d- different departments, like mm-hmm. you're pro- you're programming these things and like putting together their joints and like the mechanical pieces that are going to make these things fit um these are computer controlled on set they're not stop motion these are what goes into that um beyond like an engineering degree
3: well um, okay so i did go to engineering school but then i kind of fell into the carnival of working in la sure and so sure (laughs) so it was kind of strange how i kind of came in and then kind of started right from the bottom again and kind of Got back into the floor. why the
2: reset like what was your passion
3: um, well I worked in games for many years and then this is like all before the Gamergate stuff and there definitely was some kind of a glass ceiling effect going on well, and um, rather than you know be sad about it I just decided to move to another city where people respected artists yeah, and my husband's an artist. He's right here behind me. Hey, his daughter. <laughs> and we play this little game. It's not as awesome as your book, but we have this one called Shitty Kaiju, where I draw it on a cocktail napkin when I'm drunk, and my husband actually makes it look better.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> FJ, can FJ, FJ, we won't this. talk it's about great. the game too. All he
3: needs one really good artist friend, and then you just go. Let's play shitty kaiju and just draw something terrible. But you're, you know, you're, you've been great at taking the nuggets of what I was trying to make, like mechanically. Like I want this thing to have this like propeller
2: fin for feet, and then have That's a ridiculous really cool.
3: nose, and then he just makes it actually look terrifying.
2: Um, can they do a jam piece in your book, <laughs> oh Tom, where Julia starts it and he no, finishes? No.
3: <laughs> I mean, I don't know. exquisite corpse. Yeah. <laughs> but um coming back to the, the movie side of it, um there's there's a lot of you know, there's obviously the creatives have to come come up with how this creature works, you know, what's the origin of it? Is it a xenomorph? Is it a more mechanical based creature? Is it supposed to be looking like it's janky, like articulating, or is it supposed to be smoother? Does it um you know what's the you know, the origin story is important for what the creature is. So uh-huh. creature design, um and definitely you know, then, then you start thinking of the physical aspects. Um, so, you know, so the backstory first, how this creature came to be. I mean, was it injured? Was it a defect? You know, that kind things like that. And then when you go to create um, the motion, you know, usually there's previs from a VFX studio, something like that. And then you work off of that to create the programs for you know the armatures to actually move, like the actual bones of it and then uh, the creature shop guys make the molding and they make all the stuff that goes And that is
2: it. in so, so what we're going to be seeing in the Godzilla movie a lot of that is an actual physical that's not just CGI cuz you would think that like like a lot of that stuff and maybe for some the huge stuff a lot the of the it's huge both stuff, nowadays yeah.
3: so um in the past before there was a lot of promotion control um, it was actual puppeteers so your special effects creature design guys would be making, you know, these, the, you know, the toys and the, the original armature and all that. So it's, it's really advanced puppeteering. Um, and then, obviously, things became more complicated and now there's a lot of computer-aided
2: you know, But it's parts. great that this is just still a thing.
0: That totally. it's not all CGI. I thought that it was mean,
2: just going to go all CGI and we weren't going to have this, I mean, I know Peter Jackson's big on a combination of both and, like, he loves his model making and his stuff, but, like, yeah, this there are limitations of CGI. Here, here's my question. Yeah.
0: What can you tell us about Ghidra? Ghidra's <laughs> coming in the new Godzilla movie. Can't talk That's about awesome. That stuff, unfortunately, can you but. just say he's awesome? I mean...
3: All right, he's awesome, but I can't talk about... Unfortunately, I can't talk about... Oh. The movie. Sorry. Oh. Signed on to NDA. But, um, <laughs> That's pretty uh, awesome, though. Yeah. Who, I no, mean, I who are of some of
2: the ones movie. that you guys are looking forward to the most in the upcoming King of Monsters movie?
3: Um, oh, okay. What do You, you want to start?
2: Uh, all of them. You
0: I like mean, it's all? just great. This, I mean, this is the lineup of Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster from 1965 all over again, and it's great. Mm-hmm. And all of the sort of Marvel, or the, the end of King Kong showing the wall, like on the cave, the, mm-hmm. uh, that, that was great. And uh, if, all indications point to me, and this is coming from a really cynical fanboy, mm-hmm. that the new Godzilla movie is going to be great. Okay,
2: by just nodding your head or shaking your head, you agree. I agree because
3: some people have been following this a lot more. So I can't can't say anything, but my favorite retro retro character character is uh, Mothra. (laughs) So I I loved how Mothra is uh, maybe potentially coming back. Yeah, Jay, you
4: you got something to (laughs) say? I got to see a screening of it, so I'm quiet. (laughs) I, I know...
2: Mm. So, you got it. You got uh-huh. one of those preview screenings? Yep. What What Jay's not telling you is that he was actually in a rubber suit acting
4: <laughs> in the movie. It is uh, to see it and to know the history. Mm-hmm. You you do have, if you were a kid growing up on it, you really do have that oh my God moment. Mm-hmm. You will have that a lot, and especially at the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, that's why I'm just like,
3: exhibit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You guys can talk after the panel. We you know, will. Tom. <laughs> okay. Um, what was it about a guy in a rubber suit that like, m- fascinated us with those old Godzilla movies, those old Kaiju uh-huh. movies? Because at the end of the day, it was Man in a Rubber Suit. They
0: took it so seriously. Uh huh. Like it has this internal logic. And I mean, well, we got to give credit to uh, Akira Ifakube. The music it takes it seriously too. The music is so good. All that old music is wonderful. And it really sells the spirit of, yeah, you're like, yeah, this is a guy in a rubber suit, but you're a kid, you're watching it. You're like, everyone is, is completely sold on this. No one's raising their eyebrows at all. And uh, it's just, it, it, you, you, it hooked you in. Like when you were watching monster movies as a kid, when the Japanese ones would come on, those were the ones I, I liked the most. It just felt like they were catering to me and they were treating me seriously. Um, I don't know, there's just something about Japan and this stuff that uh, as a kid, it just it, it's like you're adjusting the tints on something and the picture just sort of snaps into focus and it really just ropes you in. Well, I mean, we hear all these stories for all of us mm-hmm. and something connected that wasn't connecting with American pop culture in the same
2: way. Well, Parallel but, to that, we have in the United States, this fear of the, like, the Cold War and the Red Scare and it's also a nuclear threat, but mm-hmm. it is a threat that comes from outer space. And we had all these outer space movies and invaders from Mars and like body snatchers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this and that. In, in Japan, it was more natural, it was yeah. more of the natural Mother world, Mother Nature striking Mother back. Nature yeah. striking back. Yeah. And is that why some of this resonated with? You? Is that a more serious topic? Is that a more realistic topic? Like, like what about that do you think resonated? Because Rodan is is, well, is is another example of you know people going where they shouldn't, or mining into a mountain that they shouldn't, or using things that they shouldn't against Mother Nature, and they get they pay for it. Well, I, I think it's
0: not uh, so much a cultural thing. You know, the Red Scare versus uh, uh, nuclear. Radiation, and it's it's the kid thing. Mm. Like we talked about Johnny Sacco before, and like nothing connecting like Johnny Sacco. And it's just like here's a kid who has control of the most powerful thing in the world. Adults need the kid in order to succeed, Mm. and like the adults are fine with that. They're not Mm. like oh it's just a kid. I don't want some kid hanging. It's just like he's part of the unicorn team, and. Uh, I don't know, there's something, you know, and Gamera's the friend of children. And, yeah. uh, uh, children are just treated like normal people. They aren't treated right. like second-class citizens in Japanese pop culture, at least, you know, in the era that we're talking about now.
3: I don't know, children have a little more, like, they they are regarded as part of the culture and not like, you know, I guess in the U.S. we kind of have this kind of helicopter baron attitude and, every, you know, the children have to be protected. Like this really protective protectivist yeah. thing. And um I remember being in Tokyo as a kid with a bus pass at the age of ten, just kind of going anywhere, <laughs> like stil- in the it's city. Still like that. No one you know, you, there was no crime. You and the old people at a park would just watch you just like they're watching their other children. And people would talk to you with respect. You know, they're not like, Hey kid, get out of here, you know, kind of attitude. But um I think with the uh The the theme, the recurring theme of like the nuclear disaster, like, you know, the nuclear Tokyo kind of thing goes back to, I felt like it kind of comes back to Shinto, where there's sort of this guilt, I guess, of like advancing your civilization all on technology and then maybe not listening to nature and not taking time for nature. You have to understand that Japan um, is, uh, you know, they're. I don't know how to explain it. Like the, the predominant religion is Shin, it was Shinto, but it's not really a religion. It's kind of like a way of life, a cosmology. Sure, and like Buddhism. Yeah, so maybe. Y- yeah, but you could be Shinto and Buddhist or Shinto and Christian. It's okay. Not, yeah, but the idea is that you're supposed to be responsible for the area in which you live and be respectful of the kami in the area. So maybe there's a little bit of guilty conscience if you're if you're building all these crazy machines. You know, you're not really thinking about the ethical implications of you know what you're doing to nature. You know, so you're building this thing, are you really thinking about how it's gonna impact the trees or the air? Right. You know, especially a big steampunk robot like just kicking out steam everywhere. Or you know sure, just sure, sure. as an example. So that's why I kinda personally I think that theme kinda comes up because there's a little bit of um, you're you're supposed to live within nature and that's that's like a virtue to be able to live in nature and that's reflected in a lot of the architecture. And then when you come back to the kaiju, it feels like, well, you know, here's something that con- is a threat, right? And a lot of times you're talking about a threat from outer space was the U- United States. Sure. Was. And then they would have the threat coming over the seas, right? Or just nature running amok, you know, to kind of reset
2: some sort of balance, so. And you had a bus pass by 10, yeah. Jay,
4: you, didn't, you weren't allowed out of the house by know, 20 years, right? I It's very different. Right? Like, kind
2: of. like Jay- I was allowed
4: out of the house for a certain amount of, t- for a certain amount of time. Uh, <laughs> there was this thing called, when the street lights come on, get your yeah. ass home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, because, no, seriously, because of where I grew up, you couldn't even leave off your block. Yeah. So yeah. to get ingrained in the things where you're just watching and it captivates you and it makes you forget about the boredom Because you get bored at home after a while. And so to get ingrained into something, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I need more of this, and I need more of this. And you start finding different things. And the love from going from kaiju to the robots was like, oh, there was all this, there was a plethora of information about robots to find. And you just kept absorbing it. And so by the time I looked up, I was graduating grammar school, and if you didn't do the math, that was four years almost, if not longer. but. You you get you get involved in it, you love it, and people think sometimes you grow out of it. You know, it's considered oh, it's mm-hmm. a fad. You'll grow out of it. But for me, my love—it was love of a stayed to the point where I would tell my friends throughout high school, college, and even getting older, where I will still talk about it. I'll still research it. YouTube has been one of the greatest things ever.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. pre-internet, and I wonder how you were able to even get a lot of this v- stuff. You find a lot
4: of VHSs. You have mm-hmm. those mom and pop, mm-hmm. mom and pop video stores mm-hmm. that would have the stuff you couldn't get at a blockbuster mm-hmm. and things like that. So when you visit those, you find the exclusive stuff where it's like it's still in the Japanese packaging.
0: Yeah. But you'd you'd also like go to conventions like this. You yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the right. 90s, and you'd ha- and you'd meet people, and you'd have conversations with people, and you'd both be blowing each other's minds with the information that you'd be sharing with I each other. I just wanted other. Children of the yeah. Atom.
2: That's all I wanted when I was younger, like, late 80s. I just wanted the VHS of Children of the Atom, which turned into the, the X-Men cartoon on yeah, Fox. Sure.
0: And this whole VHS thing, you know, it's worth talking about because it's such an obsolete concept now, you know, with YouTube and, and Torrent and all that, like, watch, like, trading, like, watching like a ninth generation VHS dub oh. of anime f- with no translations at all, you felt like the coolest person in mm-hmm. the world. You felt like so exclusive. Like Whoever the, the hippest, like most indie rock girl at your school was, who was just so above it all, you felt above her for knowing what anime was in the yeah.
2: 80s. I, remember, I well, still have happens. all my Miyazaki <laughs> fan for fan dubs on VHS, cause, yeah. Like you think? No, I mean I know Disney's made great versions of those Miyazaki films, but mm-hmm. for me, those VHS ones, as a high school kid going and hanging out with the anime club at mm-hmm. UT yeah. in Austin, like I felt so cool. But they were probably the least cool college kids, <laughs> <laughs> and I felt so cool hanging out with college kids and getting VHS tapes from uh, them.
0: Watching *The Empire Strikes Back* from uh, a bootleg dub before 1984. Nothing felt as good as that. Like nothing made you feel because it took four years for that thing to be released on video. Wow! And that was that was the coolest thing.
2: And then there was a tweet the other day from from somebody who was like, "Wait, you guys used to just burn CDs? How d do, how does this work?" Yeah. Oh yeah, like, I saw that. Did you see that one, Jay? Yeah, She's I was like, like, yo, this is
4: sad. <laughs> how do you guys this burn sad. CDs?
2: And we're like, dude. VHS was our thing back in the day, and it wasn't Looking that long VCRs ago. Together. And you'd right, squeeze
5: right. as many hours onto one VHS. Oh, yeah, six-hour oh. speed, man. You'd yeah. make six I, I hours, six hours. I had hours. Pals all over Asia because I loved Hong Kong cinema also. Oh, sure. So it would just be, how do you squash as much on one tape? Yep, you you know, co- the quality be damned. Oh, it yes. didn't matter at all. He gave it didn't me to matter read the, the subtitles. subtitles. So no, bad. there were no yeah. even English subtitles, but you'd get you as many episodes on one VHS tape just squashed.
0: And you couldn't stop watching. I mean, oh. it was like binge watching before binge watching. Right. Like, all, you know, uh, here's 40 episodes of The Fist of the North Star. I'm not okay. falling asleep. It's huh? you know.
3: like, a lot Aww. of head explosions.
0: The, 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 the big problem for me was
5: I when I first saw Gotcha Man in particular and then <laughs> Seven Arc 7 and I, and I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I went to some I don't know I went on vacation like in Europe like Italy mm-hmm. and the uncut version came on they are all slapping each other around yeah and blood stuff. everywhere and I went holy sh-, like that was like <laughs> I loved funny. it more after that and I wouldn't watch it
2: because <laughs> yeah, you watch I wouldn't watch it like grown-up you know and
5: that's, <laughs> that was at the time of the, the tape trading I was mostly doing Hong Kong stuff but then it was like I gotta find that I gotta find the the real versions of this. All three seasons. Stickler for it. Did you
1: work on the the new? I'm sorry. What was your hold? The new uh, Gautramon, that the uh, the redub that came out in like the early like 2000s.
5: No, I didn't work on it. I worked with Mm Tonsog on this Transformers project, but at the studio. But yeah, I mean, when they put out the Alex Ross like uh, boxes, uh, please speak in your mic. I'm sorry. I was like a lunatic trying to buy those every time because there was a bunch of stuff I still hadn't seen, you know, in the original. You know, the original cuts. Well, we know
2: Tom's Holy Grail. What were your. Did you guys have Holy Grails like that growing up? Like, I, I always wanted to get that Children of the Atom VHS tape of the x men card. Just tape. for
4: me, and it, it may not be much, but it was to have the die-cast metal Voltron. Man. Wow. I sure. had pieces of it, but I didn't know. I mean, here's the thing about Voltron. I had the pieces of it. Like, did you ever taint it? I, I had it, and then I. Uh, my house caught on fire, <gasps> so oh. so yeah. You basically know now. I'm about to start crying again, but <laughs> you, you can get it again.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a winnable war. You can find it again.
4: Okay. Just don't yeah. send your kid to
2: college.
4: <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just not...
0: I mean, Voltron, like, Golion and Diruger 15, yes. like, these shows are not highly regarded in Japan the way that they are here. You know, the stuff that came before, you, you gotta realize like, how many copies of copies of copies of robot mm-hmm. shows there were in, you know, from 1972 through the 80s that were going on before Gundam sort of changed it into more uh, mech stuff than super robot stuff. But, you know, the the... the the thing that resonates with us is the quality of the shows were going up, but it was getting more tired in Japan. So Goline, Lion, 15 aren't like a big deal, but their quality shows, so when they were translated here, they really connected further, uh, uh, Voltron on at the same time as uh, Transor-Z, you know, they were contemporaneous yeah. in the 80s, and the, the uh, there was an animation strike at Toei in 1972, when Devilman and Mazinger-Z were being made, and the quality of the animation is not nearly as good as, if, you know, by like 1978. So when Transor-Z was released, it made no splash here, but it's way more significant than uh, Voltron, either version of Voltron in Japan, which is almost like an afterthought.
5: I don't really see. I mean, I've been in Japan a lot lately. I don't re- really see any go line stuff. Yeah, no. like I don't. I don't see
1: anything related.
2: Uh, Diablo, did you have a uh, holy grail that you had to have as a kid?
1: Um, so my my stance on vehicle Voltron actually. <laughs> 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 no this, this is actually this is actually this it, actually it'll come back around to, to the lion voltron but when i was uh when i was uh about the summer that they that it debuted in the united states like think it's like 1984 i was overseas and i didn't get a chance to watch it and by the time i came back um all that i was able to see that they aired was always the vehicle. So that's all that was my first exposure. I knew that there was this lion one and I was yeah. really frustrated that I never got to see it because they kept showing yeah. the vehicle one. So I finally that was my holy grail. <laughs> it was, and the Netflix show is great. Yeah, I the, the, oh, the, the Netflix, Netflix the Netflix Voltron is fantastic. It is one of the most um, amazing pieces. I, I love and again, like growing up watching anime, I really love how there's a fusion of um, so the American sensibilities now with that tradition of the anime style that you find like Avatar and, um, and some other stuff. So yeah, the, go- the, the lion was like my thing. When I finally got to see it like a year later, and, you know my mind was blown, but I still have a special place in my heart for, for the vehicle. Roll-tron, Voltron, it
0: came first and you didn't get to do the Pepsi challenge of Voltron for a while. Uh, okay.
2: Julian, FJ, do you guys have any like it wasn't mine. wasn't
5: mine. wasn't. A, it was the Yamato. There was a vehicle, like a, like a like a beautiful Yamato that they sold at Forbidden Planet in New York. And it I mean it was expensive. It was like three four hundred dollars. And then literally about ten years ago, I finally got it. It wasn't. It, it's not something rare. It's not. Sure. I mean, who knows? But as a kid, but it, it was a kid. But it was yeah. I couldn't afford it. Now it's a little cheaper. It might not even be the same one. But it was uh, very similar, in the same stance and the same angle, and all this. And it was a model. It was, and I never made models. I suck at them, and all that. But it took me. I, I said, "This is the one. I've wanted this thing since childhood." And I put the thing together and had it on my desk at home. And you know, it took me three and a half weeks to put it together because I'm not sure. adept at these things. And um, I came home one day and I and I was just, and I looked at my desk. It wasn't there. And my nephew at the time was probably like eight. Oh. Yeah, you know where this is going, right? And my nephew and my wife was cooking. And this is an apartment in New York, so just keep in mind it's you know the size of this table. Mm-hmm. And I said, where's the... Are there kids here? i got to be careful. I said, where's the Yamato? And the two of them just looked at each other. And to this day, I still don't know who... Do you wanna know? Who, ...which one was cleaning the apartment and accidentally sort of elbowed it. They've right. both thrown each other under the bus. So I have the pieces, like, in a bag. Right. And then when I moved to L.A., I just still haven't had the heart to, like, go into it again. It's we not have broken. to do this. It's not broken. I don't know where the hell it is right now. We have it, to do this. But it's, like, it's this thing. So, like, even when I come here, I look for, like, ones that aren't models.
2: This has been you years, FJ. Oh, this has been, like, ten years. F.J., there's a part inside it's of your still soul that needs yeah. to be put back I together. can't believe I just brought this up. Now that's it's like, all.
5: A, <laughs> now it's, re, you FJ. know, sort of.
2: This is part Can of you your hook healing. Up? <laughs> Can you play? Like, this, this, so <laughs> <man. laughs> this is one of the major life stuff, man. Justin, this is why up? I'm angry. All Julie, time. did you have a. Uh, like an object of, uh, that you were like I, as a You kid. know, I
3: didn't really You um, lived amongst it uh, yeah, Well, I had the I had the Voltron yeah. So I had my Voltron I don't know which edition or anything She could have just gone I out and gone it. Like she away. lived in Japan Well, nerds. no, it's, you know And then later, it's You know, there's a lot of Gundam So um, maybe I kind of missed the Voltron wave Even though my parents were more fans of it And then what happened is Like I played with the Voltron toy And the Godzilla toy But in popular culture at the time when I was young, it was mainly Gundam. So it was a lot of Gundam and Dragon Ball happening, and and personally I like Ghost in the Shell a lot, so I like the big tank, so I have that. So I have the tank, I have my Voltron, I got my, my Godzilla, and I think I got a um, my Zerg thing, and I think I'm good. Like, <laughs> I don't need a closet full of toys. Here's another like,
0: uh, okay. Holy Grail that's, uh, it, and it's surprising. Everyone's gonna say, what, this isn't available? A date. Uh, so, Nick, oh, no, yeah, thank what? you. What? Um, <laughs> Nick Adams was a popular uh, actor in kaiju films. He did, uh, he, he, was, he won an Oscar, he was nominated for an Oscar, didn't win for Twilight of Honor in the 60s, and he was kind of a nutty guy, and he freaked out, and he went to Japan, and he was doing monster movies, and he did Frankenstein Conquers the World, yeah. and he did Monster Zero, you know, Invasion of the Astro Monsters, and he did a third movie called The Killing Bottle, which is part of the same series of the spy movies that Woody Allen did for What's Up, Tiger Lily. Oh my God. Uh, There's five of those movies and like Woody Allen owns the rights, but that third movie that Nick Adams did, The Killing Bottle, is unfindable. No one has it. And uh, so that's a holy grail. I've never seen it.
2: No uh, no
0: luck. it's not on DVD, it's not on huh. you know anything, it's not on some weird torrent site. You know, video search of Miami doesn't it. have it. <laughs> Cinephile doesn't have on it. On and I posted on, like uh, there was a, a double feature at the New Beverly of Frankenstein Conquers the World and War of the Gargantuas. And I'm like, I went to it and it was great and it was awesome to see him on the big screen and it was packed. And on the thread on the Facebook event for that night, I said, hey, is there any chance that the New Beverly, or QT, because Quentin Tarantino owns the New Beverly, can find uh, The Killing Bottle and screen it. And Tarantino responded, he just goes, I wish, exclamation oh,
2: point. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we've mentioned like the the modern, uh, we got five minutes left, but we've mentioned um, Pacific Rim, which is the other big franchise that's in theaters with Godzilla being the other one. Um, some pe- some of you guys love the sequel. Some of you guys love the begin- the first one and vice versa. I know Jay, heartbroken man about the sequel. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm totally FG's with you. with you. But like, <laughs> Pacific
4: Rim was amazing. Yeah. Tom, yeah. What,
2: and I, you and I enjoyed the second one. What's going I on? Um, Feel free to argue amongst yourselves. No, you know, the, no, I, no fisticuffs.
4: I think the
0: ending is a little cheesy with yeah. the the rope with the kaiju combining into one. You know, I like the look of all of the kaiju. I thought it, I, I liked seeing all of the Jaegers and kaiju fighting in broad daylight. Mm. Um, I liked it looking like its own thing. You know, its own palette. It wasn't trying to copy the first movie. I like the, the the fight. It, it felt like a Jackie Chan fight on the ice. You know, using the environment yeah. around it. Um, like in in the first one, which I think is great, like a big problem is the two the the Australian kid and the main guy kind of look the same, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I think that was a bad casting thing, but I like the rest of the movie uh, uh, I, you know part of it is expectations, you know, hey Gamal del Toro's not involved, you know but I saw it twice in the theater, and I liked it
5: yeah. I just you know he speaks for me, whatever comes out of
4: his mouth I agree with. <laughs> thank you. The, there were so many plot structure holes, I was like, you know, I'm not gonna get past this. The, the kaiju combining was the dumbest thing, because they pumped it up to be where the Jaegers would combine. And when that didn't happen, I was like, this is awful. And then when the Jaegers got destroyed, when you had the kaiju-Jaeger hybrids, and then they did almost a 90s video montage putting them back together, I said, why is this happening? John Boyega's character, why is this happening? If you didn't notice, I ask that question a lot. Uh, Charlie Day, all of a sudden, (laughs) really weird. He has a kaiju sneeze on him and he's cool with it. (laughs) Why is this happening? And again, yeah, there was, a, there was a bar set by what Guillermo del Toro did with Pacific Rim, the first one. And, you know, knowing people who were involved with it, some of the actors and stuff, and I love the film in itself. And granted, knowing there was a different director, it would be a different artistic take on it. But when you hear the plot line at first, you're like, okay, this could be good. And then when you see it, it completely falls off.
5: It would, it would have been. I He's already re- spoken for you. I already, yeah, that's true, but I'm just <laughs> I, 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 addendum. An addendum I, just, I actually really like the setup of him. Like, you could have done the street version of it where it's like. I liked that he was sort of hustling, you know, yeah, in, yeah. wherever he was. He was here, I guess, in LA or whatever it was. And I like the idea of people building their own Jaegers. Would have been more interesting, like, if, if it was like. We had to sort of do almost like the Fast and the Furious of Jaeger's, where it's like people from different places Absolutely. come together and take out the kaiju because the military can't. I thought that's where I thought it was going. Mm. And then I was just like, well, it's the same. It's,
4: yeah, because the girl, she, they didn't need it. She, all of a sudden, she was building. Spoiler alert, there's a girl in LA made her own Jaeger, little rinky dink one. And then all of a sudden, they take her into, as a recruit. They, the cadets don't want her. Flipped the screen. Now she's piloting the Jaeger. We felt we got all about being able to be drift compatible. They talked nothing about it, mm-hmm. so it was those things. It was like, Wait,
1: what, huh? To build a bridge and cu- uh, build a peace between you and I, mm-hmm. um, the first Pacific Rim is the Lion Voltron. Mm-hmm. And oh, I see, <laughs> I see,
3: <laughs>
1: I think that is a That's beautiful a piece. The place the
4: sequel to end. <laughs> <vehicle Voltron.
2: laughs> what, a, what a wonder! I mean. Would you guys still be in line for, the, for our third movie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's What's the name point. of this panel? <laughs> uh, yeah, of course we'd be there. Um, I think that's a beautiful place to uh, end on. Thank you, Jay and Diallo. Uh, that was great. That was a perfect for, That was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. FJ gets to live today. I know. <laughs> um, unscathed. I, um, where can we find you guys on social media and online and find your work? Uh, quick plugs before we end the panel. Tom? Uh,
0: the best place is on Twitter, uh, Jay Mashinder uh, at Twitter. That's the name of the toys. Uh, I'm doing a panel in 406 uh, Sketch Fighter, which pairs comedians and professional comic book artists, all playing uh, like an all geek version of Pictionary. Um, and uh, I'm doing a stand-up show here tomorrow in 406 uh, Comics and Comics.
3: All oh, right. And then um, you can find me at cleverfox.media for um, projects. But um, you can follow me on the Grams so Dev uh, devsiren, so C-Y-R-3-N.
4: Uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Mr. J. Washington. It's M R J A Y. You should know how to spell Washington. Uh, my, st- my uh, I'm doing comics on comics here later tonight, stand up all around LA. Uh, I'm the host of the Mad Titan podcast, where I get you caught up on everything that's happening in the Marvel and DC live action cinematic universes. I watch every t- every single TV show. Oh, geez. oh geez. All of them.
2: It's like Ian. What do you
4: think of Titans? We'll talk after this. Talk about Titans after this. Also, you can catch me on Nerdist and Collider, Screen Junkies, and all of those. FJ, so.
2: uh, I got
5: kicked off Twitter, so
2: um, just at FJ
5: Desanto on Instagram, and I'm floating around places.
2: And watch in, any more Transformers? Oh, I can't say. <laughs> but you can watch the Transformers the stuff Transformers, on is the
5: Transformers. The trilogy, which just finished in May, um, which we did in yeah Tatsunoko in Japan. And then I can't say anything beyond that. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the Armageddon. Uh, the second E is a three. And uh, also on Instagram, Angela and the Dark.
2: And that's his new comic. And it's out on the floor, isn't it? Yeah. You on, uh,
1: out on the floor. Forge Creations. The table.
2: Uh, I'm Jonathan London I'm at Jonathan London on Twitter You can search for Geekscape uh, to listen to this Uh, I recorded this panel And you can pass it on to your friends So they can be here at LA Comic Con Uh, And that's at Geekscape.net Geekscape's the podcast Search Geekscape on all the socials You'll find us All right. Um, thank you guys so much for being a part of this
3: You're listening to the Geekscape Network